Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Dover, New Jersey. Pastor Jim's desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application to our daily lives. If you wander far from God, how do you pray He brings you back? The prophet Habakkuk prayed that God would spiritually revive His people, but they had wandered so far it meant God would have to use drastic measures. How many Christians do you know that would be okay with that? Habakkuk knew it would take a crisis for that to happen, and since the Lord meant so much to him, he was ready for it. This is a question we all must answer. What will we endure to grow closer to God? Let's join Pastor Jim in Habakkuk chapter 3 and part 3 of his message, Praying with a Prophet for Revival. Many Christians hide behind grace. Well, they sin, they go, well, there's grace, there's grace. Yet Titus chapter two says that the grace of God teaches us to obey God. Other people will say stuff like this. They'll say stuff, well, we're not perfect, but at least we're not as bad as those people. Or, or other people look at us and they go, you're just like everybody else. We're not supposed to be pointing at them saying we're not as bad. We're not supposed to be thought of as being just like everybody else. We're supposed to be God's people. We're supposed to be different. And sometimes I feel like, and certainly when I read the Bible and certainly when I look around at times, I feel sometimes God wants wants to say this to the American church. If you won't take the plank out of your eye, You'd have to Google that if you want to know more about that, if you don't know. If you won't take the plank out of your eye, if you won't take the sin out of the church, if you won't take the sin out of your own life, then I'm going to do it for you. And why does God do it? Because he loves us and because he's holy. You see, maybe... A lot of people don't realize this, but they're the frog in the pot. And it's slow boiling, and it's so slow boiling, they don't realize that they're becoming spiritually dead. I've heard people say God is using the virus to get the rest of the world to wake up. I've heard people say God is using the virus to judge the world. I don't know, but I'm just throwing out to you what Habakkuk knows is going on in his day. I'm not saying it's going on in our day, but it's entirely possible. Is it possible that God could be using the virus to discipline a church that it's lost its way? Many New Testament Christians, I call them that, but sort of tongue in cheek, stand in judgment on the God of the Old Testament that he uses the savage Babylonians. But let's understand this. That's what it took to kick the idols out of the land. And it worked. They got, a lot of them lost their lives. A lot of them were taken as prisoners down to Babylon. But the idols that were there before, when they came back, they were gone. There was other things that popped up. They, they suffered from too much religion, not enough relationship with God. They changed they, they, all these little laws and rules that they were, they, they were bringing, importing into the faith that were never there, put in there by God. Rules of men, Jesus said, not the rules of God, not the things of God. But, but, but I'll tell you what, man, the Babylonians did take the idolatry out of them. It sure did. 
You know, the old expression goes, it took God one night to get the, his people out of Egypt, but it took 40 years to get Egypt out of them. And so, so the Babylonians did kick the idols out. And loved ones, I know you don't want to hear this, but some of us know this for a fact. I know this all too well. This is one of the reasons why I love God, but I fear him at the same time, is sometimes the Lord has to sting us so badly because it's the only way to get us to stop. It's the only way to get us to look up and fear him and live for him. If you don't believe me, look at the cross. Don't think about it. Don't even see it. Feel it. Feel the nails going into Jesus. Feel the shame of most likely being crucified naked in front of all those people. Feel the separation from God. Feel for a second all goodness sucked out of the world. All goodness sucked out of your life and you are just there in the midst of just pure evil. Feel how God the Father stung Jesus on the cross for you and for me. Feel it, man. Feel it. So Habakkuk asks for two things from God. You could say three, but we'll be here forever if we do all three. Two things from God. The first thing he asks for is revival. Verse two continues. O Lord, revive your work. Man, just stop and think about that. Dude, that's praying. That is not, that is, that is praying. Lord, oh Lord, revive your work. Not my work, your work. Some versions say, renew your work. Do it again, God. In the midst of the years, Lord, we want to see it now. We want to see it now. In the midst of the years, make it known. So what is he saying? He says, he's saying, God, revive your work and make it known. Reveal it to us. Let us see it. Let us experience it. We know you have to discipline us. Discipline us and bring us back to you. It's like he's now saying, he's complaining in chapter one. Now in chapter three, he sees it so bad. It's like he's saying to God, would you please do whatever it takes? Whatever it takes, man, please do it. Do it. We're that far gone and we don't even see it. The people are blind to it. Habakkuk knew the people needed the renewal of the righteousness from King Josiah's reign. They needed to return. He knew that they needed revival. He knew that their faith was dead. They knew as the New Testament said, they were dead in trespasses and sins and they needed God's resurrection power. So what is Habakkuk asking God? This is crazy to us. Lord, would you please use the pain and the heartache of life to do what you said in Matthew chapter one, you were gonna do with Jesus to save your people from their sins. Would you please do that? That means friends, 
that we can no longer give lip service to our prayers for revival. That means that our prayers for revival may just bring really hard times on the church. It may bring really hard times on our nation. It may bring really hard times on our world and to you and me as individuals. You know, we go around, we talk about revival. This is one of the verses that you have to, at any time you talk about revival, you have to, you have to read this verse. It's like required. Everybody's like, we've got to pray for revival. We've got to pray for revival. And people break out 2 Chronicles 7.14. I'm going to read to you the American church version of it. It's a different version. Some of you are going to say, oh, he skipped part of it. And this is what the Lord said to King Solomon. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal, heal their land. And people go, this is great. We can do this. We can humble ourselves. We can pray. We can seek God's face and he'll, he'll hear from heaven. He'll forgive us and heal our land. Did you notice the part that I skipped? I skipped the part that said, and turn from their wicked ways. So let's listen to it again. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and, and turn from their wicked ways, both have to happen. Then, if they humble themselves and pray and seek my face and they will turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. You say, what's he going on about? Well, I read all this stuff. It tells us in, in surveys that typically the lives of American confessing Christians I think in a church like ours, it can be somewhat different because we're a lot more focused on exactly what God's saying. We're not skipping passages like this. But it says that most people who profess to be Christians, their lives are no different than anybody else's except where they spend one or two Sunday mornings a month. Guess what? God's not going to heal our land. It's a conditional promise. I would even say it's for them, but let's just say we want to bring it into our lives and, and apply it for us. We have to seek his face. We have to humble ourselves, but we have to turn from our wicked ways. Here's a hard truth, loved ones. It's a hard, hard truth, but we have to come to grips with it. We have to. Revival doesn't come to people who want to still continue in their way of life the way it is. It doesn't. Revival is not going to come to a church where we just want to keep doing everything the same. We keep repeating the same things and then we wonder why we're not making a difference in society. Some of you say, well, that's Old Testament. I don't buy that stuff. Okay. John chapter six, Jesus. The people were complaining that Jesus' teachings were too hard. Too hard. You know, we... All the pastor stuff I get in the mail says, you got to make it easy for people. Be nice. I'm coming to the conclusion I'm getting older and crustier as each day goes by. I'm aware that it's happening. I want to have a hard ministry. I want to have a hard saying ministry. I want people to go, it's too hard. We can't do this without God. I'll be like, hallelujah, I did my job. Because we can't do it without God. 
It says John chapter 6, verse 66. Interesting, John 666. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. How sad is that? People who were once followers of Jesus, when Jesus said, hey, this is the way it's got to be, they said, that's not what we signed up for. That's not what we signed up for at all. Verse 67, this is amazing. Then Jesus Jesus said to the 12, so he flips around to the 12 apostles. He says this, do you also want to go away? You think he, they were expecting him to turn around and go, well, at least I got you guys. He doesn't say that. He says, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter, the apostle Peter, answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You're the one. Notice Habakkuk prays for God to move. Lord, bring your desires, bring your work, Bring your plan upon your people and do whatever you have to do to make it happen. Habakkuk, interestingly enough, is praying that the crisis brings out about a new work of God in God's people. I know a lot of us are praying that, that this would, what's going on in our country right now will bring a lot of people back to God. But let's also make sure we're praying that it brings us back, that it makes us desire the Lord more. See, Habakkuk is praying that the crisis brings a new work. He's not saying, hey, God, save us from the Babylonians after we're done with all that stuff and bring us back to the way we are right now. Not at all. He doesn't want that. He's the the way we are right now. The old ways, he's saying, are no good the old ways of sin. I know people are trying to change the message all the time. The problem is not the message. The problem is our desire to live out the message in the power of the Spirit of God. I get all this stuff constantly in my inbox. I have a junk mail email inbox. I can't believe it. I don't really pay much attention to it. But um, lots of pastor articles that right now the guys are so concerned and why so many of them are pushing to open the churches so soon is that they're afraid that people won't come back to church. And right now, most churches are experiencing the same or less in their giving. Some, by some estimates, some people are thinking one-third of the churches in America might even close if churches were to not remain uh, closed much longer. And then if they don't come back to church, they won't be able to pay the bills. I understand that. That's a real problem. But personally, I'm more concerned that the church in America will remain the same and we will have wasted another warning from God. You see, we do pray for revivals, but we have to realize that revivals often happen in very, very difficult times. And God uses them to get rid of the sin in the lives of people and to bring new life. Not back to the way things were, but to bring new life. Now, Isaiah chapter 44, verse 3 gives us a great visual of what revival looks like. 
he says, for God says, for I will pour water on him who is thirsty. Now, let's just stop right there for a second. I know we want to blame the church for a lot of our problems, but the problem with the church is that it's full of people. We're the problem. And, and so he says, if, if you are thirsty, I'm going to pour water on you. Now, he says, for I will pour water on him who is thirsty. Some versions say on the thirsty land and floods or streams on the ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. That's a beautiful picture of revival. That God is taking what people didn't understand, they were dry. The people of the temple didn't understand they were dry. The people of the church don't understand that we might be dry. And God says, I'm gonna pour water on you. I'm gonna do stuff in you, man. It's gonna be great if you're willing to humble yourself and seek my face and dump your wicked ways. I'll help you dump them. But God has a great plan. Now, Habakkuk knows that revival is going to come because of the Babylonians, but he also knows that the Babylonians are vicious, vicious people. And the first thing he asked us for, to, for was revival. You could say a second would be reveal the work to us. But from revival, he takes us to the second thing, which is remember. Look at the ver- end of verse two concludes, in wrath, remember mercy. Now, God's wrath is not a temper tantrum. And I know a lot of people have a lot of problem with God as a father because they have they had very wrathful, very difficult, very nasty fathers. And you know, it's it, it, it's hard, but but we can't associate your earthly father in the way he was, if it was bad, with with your heavenly father. Even if your earthly father was good, there's he's certainly not your heavenly father. No, God's wrath is his perfect divine punishment for sin. And Habakkuk, when he says, in wrath, remember mercy, he agrees it needs to come. He agrees that God's people have just become dry and dead, and actually, they could use this. But he also knows that without mercy, God's wrath would completely destroy his people. And if God completely destroys his people, there's no opportunity for them to be saved by grace, as the New Testament says, through faith. We're saved by the grace of God. We grab a hold of the grace of God. We grab a hold of heaven through faith in Jesus Christ. So mercy, Habakkuk knows that mercy, God's mercy, tempers God's justice. And so while we do pray for an honest revival, God, do what it takes. We also must remember to pray that mercy must be part of our revival prayers as well as the fear of the Lord. Both must be involved. Remember, we should fear God. I loved my dad. I loved my dad. Father's Day is coming. And for me, it is a sad day because I just miss my dad. It's gone 19 years. Just miss him. I loved my dad, and he loved me, and that's key. 
I realize that I have certain things in me that are the result of him that a lot of you don't have. I know a lot of you didn't constantly have a father put his arm around you and say, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So I knew that he loved me, but I feared my father's wrath. More commonly known in our house as his belt. And, and his wrath was like the Babylonian wrath. It was imperfect. I'm not saying my father was a Babylonian, but, but it was an imperfect wrath. God does not have imperfect wrath. Mercy is God giving, not giving us what we deserve. That is an attribute of God, mercy. So when he says to God, remember mercy, remember for God, God's not like God, God has a bad memory. When, when you see the word remember in the Bible associated with God, with us it's associated with our memory. Remember you said this, remember you said that. It's associated with God, please act upon. Please act upon your mercy. So, so the essence of the prophet's prayer is having confessed their sin, having admitted the guilt of the people, having said to God, I know we deserve this. The essence of, this, of the prayer is this. In your wrath, in the punishment, in the discipline that we deserve from you, God, please, please give us your mercy. The wrongs against God are real for sure, but there's a little statement tucked in James 2.13 that I love that says, mercy triumphs over judgment. You see, friend, that's why we need to put our trust in Jesus Christ because God's mercy will always triumph over his judgment. And when you put your trust in Jesus Christ, God will extend his mercy to you. That is the message of the cross. That God, in his perfect, divine wrath, put his wrath, his judgment upon Jesus on the cross in order that he could offer you and me mercy. And all you have to do is ask for it. All you have to do is trust in Jesus' works instead of your own to get to heaven. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm glad you're with us today. And if you are right now, you're, you're trembling before God. And I know that all too well. And you know that you deserve judgment. Look at the cross and realize that Jesus took Babylon for you. Babylon came in to be the instrument of God's justice. But imagine if Jesus had just come down and stood in between Babylon and his people and said, I'll take it all for you. And that is what happened on the cross. And if you plead for mercy, if you plead for the forgiveness of your sins, it will be given to you. You see, the cross of Jesus Christ shows us the holiness of God. It shows us that the holiness of God demands justice and punishment for sin. But remember we said we don't know enough about the just, the holiness of God and the love of God. But because of the love of God, there is 
the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. There is grace and mercy for all who turn to God, put their trust in Jesus and are willing to follow him. So today, friend, come to Jesus. Don't dilly-dally. You may never feel this way again. Come to Jesus. Put your trust in him. That is the way prophets prayed for revival. You say, where do we start? I, 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 I'm, I'm all in, Pastor Jim. I want to be one of these people that's praying for revival. Where do I start? Oh, Lord, revive your work. That's where we start. Revive your work in our time. And in your wrath, remember, act upon mercy. God himself reviving his work, his work, is the only hope for the church. It's the only hope for the world. It's the only hope for you. And it's the only hope for me. May God, in his mercy, revive our hearts. Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills in Dover, New Jersey. Changed by Love brings you the great hope of the gospel to equip you to reach others with this transforming message. In a world filled with fear and mistrust, Pastor Jim provides the path to freedom in a clear and transparent style. Changed by Love needs your help to reach thousands, including your friends and neighbors. Find out the ways you can team financially with Changed by Love by visiting our website at changedbyloveradio.org or call 862-217-9686. Pastor Jim would love to hear your story on how Changed by Love has impacted your life or someone you know. Your encouragement goes a long way. Thank you for spending time with Pastor Jim Kevney and Changed by Love.